Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM Radio. How are you going today? I am so good. I am like stoked, stoked. Oh, tell us why. Because when you have to say stoked twice, you know that it is a serious deal. <laughs> because today I finished my assessment for my degree. I did my Ooh. last exam and... If I pass everything, I'm graduating. So excited. Very exciting. That's so good. So good. Uh, Congratulations, Beck. Thank you. I feel like I don't know what to do with myself. Like, I don't know what to do with my time. I've just finished. I know I have to organize things for packing. But right now, I'm just like, oh, celebrate. Well, if you finish today, I think that the right cause of order is praise the Lord and take a break. Yes. Amen. (laughs) There will be plenty of time to pack your bags later. Yeah. Um, How about you? How are you doing, Robbie? I'm doing great. Thank you. I've I've been feeling really lethargic. Lately, I don't know if it's the weather that was really hot and muggy or, yeah, or what it is, but I've just been feeling really tired. But yeah. I came in today and praise the Lord for air conditioning because yeah. the aircon is on in the studio today. It's amazing. And I came in and I feel I feel about 600% better and more energetic. <laughs> and hopefully you can hear it. If, I, if it doesn't sound like I'm energetic enough, I'll talk faster. Yeah. No. <laughs> So super excited to have you guys with us today. Now, before we get on to what we're talking about on the show today, I just wanted to ask, how does it feel to have finished all of these responsibilities that you've had? You've been under the pump for quite some time now. You've been trying to get essays done. You've been yeah. trying to do all this stuff. How does it feel? Just for a bit of encouragement out there to our HSC students and whatever other, I don't, I don't I've only lived in New South Wales. I don't know what the other ones are called, Yeah. but uh, you know, well, finishing exams. Yeah, absolutely. Well, right now I feel excited to be on the show, excited to be finished. I think it's still settling in, you know, kind of when it's like, oh, it's just happened. You don't know. So I finished my exam, went and got some lunch and then got ready for the show for the radio. And yeah. So hey, this could actually have been a dream. This <laughs> You're dreaming right now. You might yeah, have to yeah. do this tomorrow. It'll probably be, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> tomorrow will be like celebration day. Um, so no, it feels good. I feel um, really, I just want to praise God as well for him getting me through this last two years. And there were some subjects that were really tough and times that which have been crazy. And I just want to thank him for friends and community and just bringing me through as well this time, which has been awesome and such a blessing. That's awesome. It's so exciting when you come towards the end of something. I mean, it can be a little stressful because what comes next, all of those kinds of things. And uh, unfortunately for us, but exciting for Beck, this is actually your second last episode of The Real Face Show because as of next week, you'll be finishing up and then you'll be heading off to some future prospects, Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So just waiting for everything to be finalized, but um, I should be heading back to WA for Christmas, which will be awesome. Very exciting. Well, we are super stoked for you. We are very proud of you getting through all that. And today, guys, we've got a great show lined up for you. We're going to be hearing from our friend Rihanna today and her testimony, and we're going to be getting into the story of how David spares Saul's life. This is Amy Grant, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Oh 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM Radio, and it has come that time of the show for what a weird and wonderful world. But just before we get into some fun facts, we just wanted to remind you that you can call in for our question of the week portion, which happens towards the end of the show, and you can ask any question that you like about the Bible, spirituality, etc. And we would love to hear from you and be able to try and answer your questions. So if you'd like to do that, you can call in at one 800 324 843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text in at 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. And we would love to hear from you. So what do you have for us today, Beck? You're probably going to tell us some sort of fun facts about graduating or something. I'm <laughs> That sounds boring, but it could be What do you fun. mean boring? I could make it Who's fun. Who's not excited about graduating? <laughs> no, okay, so you can have you can have a guess. Something that is to do with animals. One of, one of the stories. No, no. One of the stories that we have today. Ooh. Ooh, you're gonna talk about there. the corners of clothing. It's abstract, but or no, a jug of water. Good good try. Good try. <laughs> Some of you are like, what does that have to do with the Bible study, Robbie? Yeah. But you'll find out. Don't Absolutely. Worry. You have to tune in to find out. No, today I'm talking about rocks. 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 Excellent. Yeah. I like rocks. Okay. I'm a rock climber. You're so. a rock. Yeah. Robbie is a rock climber. So what is the study of rocks called? Robbie? Geology. Yes, it is. Rocks are made of different minerals and there are three different types of rocks. Igneous, metamorphic and sedimentary. Absolutely. Robbie, Man, you my, should do this My session. primary school science <laughs> book is in my head. I got that That's down That's amazing. Pat. Okay. So <laughs> igneous seems like the most fun. So where, where does igneous come from, Robbie? Do you know? Uh, 
uh, I'm pretty sure it's heated. Yeah, molten magma. So igneous like rock, obsidian. Yeah, comes from the the hot substance that's inside a volcano, and when it cools from the molten magma, it becomes rock. It turns to rock. So that includes slate and pumice. Yeah. Yeah. So I found some pumice on the beach this week. And oh. by the way, here's a hot tip for all you ladies out there: if you're <laughs> into uh, you know like pedicures and stuff, yep, yep, that stuff's free on the beach, and you can use that to sand off the calluses on your toes. <laughs> anyway, that's. <laughs> You know what, guys? I'm not a lady and I did it. Guys, I thought I thought I would try it because it was, I had a sore on my foot. Anyway, this is not confession time. This is weird and wonderful world. No, that is weird and it is wonderful, so it's good. The other two types is, yeah, sedimentary, which um, are formed from layers from sand and mud. Like and, sandstone. Oh Yeah, absolutely. Over the years, the bottom layers are compacted with new layers joining on top. And so you get limestone, sandstone, absolutely. And then the last one, metamorphic, they've been put under a lot of pressure and heat. So usually when the earth is moving. Um, granite? Marble and slate. Slate. Yeah. Mm, I'm yeah. trying to remember if, which, if granite. I'm going to have to look that up because yeah. I like rock climbing and granite. <laughs> so another thing, <laughs> another type of rocks are space rocks. Space rocks. Yes, that's the call. That's the serious. <laughs> so you got. No, no, let no, me no. get this straight. You got metamorphic, igneous, sedimentary, and space rocks. No. And I'm assuming they come from space. Absolutely. Is that the, is that the real name? No, the real name are meteorites. Oh, okay. I thought. <laughs> but you I had me go in there for a moment. I thought surely. I like when things are called as they are, but that yeah, seems yeah. pretty bad. No, no, it's space rocks. So they come from space. They <laughs> they land on Earth, but most of the time they actually land in the sea. And so that makes sense. Two thirds of the earth is water. Yeah, absolutely. So they're called meteorites and it's actually when you see a shooting star, this is what they are. It's a bit of space rock entering the earth's atmosphere. Sometimes you even actually see space junk coming back into the atmosphere, like old satellites or things yeah. that have been ejected from um like like from well from satellites or from spaceships, etc. Yeah, yeah. It's actually interesting. I've seen I remember I was living in the in the Marshall Islands and we saw this one. It was huge. I've never seen anything quite like it. And it came down and we saw it go down really low. And I think we actually I can't remember if we saw it go into the ocean. I think it dropped out of the tree line maybe. Yeah. But it was pretty hectic. Yeah, that's awesome. So cool. So something else I wanted to mention is Uluru, which is Australia's big rock. It's not a meteorite, is it? Because it looks like sandstone. <laughs> no, it's also known as Ayers Rock. And so it's the um, the largest monolith in the world, which is basically... Monolith, single stone. A single stone, yes. Robbie. Oh, man, you should do I feel this like, segment. I feel like we should talk about this subject more often. I've known <laughs> more about this than any other subject we've talked about in five months. Amazing. <laughs> Feeling really good about myself. You- so something is that rocks in the Bible were often used to make altars to God, um, or they were used for memorials, they were memorial stones. And there are many Bible verses about God being our rock and our fortress, our strength. And one is Psalm 18 verse 2, which is really cool. It says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I trust. And so, yeah, it's just a reminder that God made all of these things. He made the earth, he made rocks, but he is the rock that we can depend on, the one that we can rely on. Um, and it just a really cool encouragement is the story of Samuel and looking up the word Ebenezer. I want to encourage you, if you don't know, go and look up what an Ebenezer is. And it has to do with rocks and Samuel and a remembrance stone. Stone of help. Yeah, stone of help in Hebrew, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, I just wanted to get you guys to have a look at that. If it's a story you're interested in, Ebenezer, sometimes we sing it in a song and it might be difficult to understand what is that. And it's talking about being a stone of help and where does it come from? What is the 
history of that of that story. So yeah, that was our weird and wonderful world facts for that's today. That's awesome. And if you didn't know, that's uh, here I raise my Ebenezer hither by thy help. I don't know if I've got Come the right verses. That's the one. Woo! That's the one. Thank you. This was great. <laughs> great fun facts. This is Booth Brothers. He saw it all. affairs I heard a commotion a couple streets over and wondered what's happening there a young man was running from in that direction and stopped just to catch his breath I asked him to please tell me what was the hurry he smiled up at me and he said The crippled man, did he run past this way? He was rushing home to tell everyone what Jesus did today. And the mute man was telling myself and the deaf girl he's leaving to answer God's call. It's hard to believe, but if you don't trust me, man, he saw it all. Ask the blind man, he saw it all. My friend, if the troubles and burdens you carry are heavy and dragging you down, and you've tried everything you can possibly think of, there's no relief to be found That very same Jesus that altered the future of the blind man, the deaf and the lame Is still reaching out in your hour of trouble One touch and you're never the same And you'll be trying to catch the crippled man Did he run past this way? Welcome back to Real Faith. You're listening to Robbie, or with Robbie and Beck, you're listening to Faith FM Radio. And it's now come time for an amazing part of our show, and that is our Testify segment, where we get to hear a little bit about someone's journey with Jesus, somebody real time. So today we have in the studio, Rihanna. And so where are you from, Rihanna? Hi, I'm from Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas. 
deep in the heart of Texas. Do you wear a hat, like one of these hats? I don't. I know many people who do. So. Awesome. Very, very good. That's what we see in the movies, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, everything is bigger in Texas, including smiles, and you've got a big smile. We're excited to hear a bit about your story today. But before that, tell us a little bit about yourself. So you're from Texas. What are you doing in Australia? Um, I'm currently in Australia as a volunteer for the conference office. Okay, cool. So you're working for the Seventh-day Adventist Church as a volunteer. And what are you doing in that role? I work for the health department, so we support the local churches in having different health programs and supporting mental, physical, just overall health. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. We're super stoked to have you in the studio today and uh, super excited to hear a bit more about your story. So um, I guess really the question is, how is it that you, I'm assuming that you're telling us a little bit of a story about how you came to know Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> so what was life like before this before coming to know Jesus for yourself? Um, so for a long time for me, I, gosh, where do I start? Um, (laughs) (laughs) so I guess, I guess a big part for me was that when I was in school, I was working full time and going to school full time when I was in uni. Yeah, that's full on. It was full on. And I was kind of a full on person for a long time. It was like, I, I wanted to make sure I was doing absolutely everything I could to do the best all the time. And it was really, really stressful, actually. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I was I was constantly stressed out, like to the point where it kind of messed with my sleep. I, like my stomach would hurt, like just, it was awful. So I was, I guess the before part was lots of stress. Lots of stress, <laughs> yeah. definitely. So you were in that space. Life was really full on. I mean, full-time study is a full-time deal. Full-time work is a full-time deal. So you're doing double time, really. Yeah. Um, so in the midst of all of that busyness, how did you come to know Jesus? Um, there were a few different, I guess, moments. But a big one for me was um, I took a week off to go on a trip to help with the construction of a church okay, cool. in Bolivia. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. It was really cool. It was really different because I hadn't been out of the country before. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so I I went out there and it was like mixing concrete by hand with shovels and like the demolition it was it was crazy and I met people there that were so happy. Like the people that were making food for us, the people that were working alongside of us were happy and I felt like I hadn't been happy in so long. Mm. Like I felt like I was making decisions based off of what would make me less stressed because I was just so in the middle of, I need to do well. I need to have good grades to get a good job, to do well in life. And it was just like, oh my goodness, everything that I'm doing isn't, isn't it. Yeah. Mm. So it's not, it wasn't making you feel what you had wanted doing those things, like everything together, but what you were experiencing among these people. Now, were they, can I ask, were they troop members or were they like uh, people who were living there with the Bolivians or what? group were they um the the couple that i remember the most it was actually a couple that was working for adra so i'm not sure where they were from but they were they were visiting bolivia as well okay cool what's adra adra robbie well i was just gonna say if uh, for those of you that don't know adra is a the adventist development and relief agency i believe that's the right term um and so they're a branch of the church so to speak an arm of the church a ministry of the church is a better word that actually is involved in doing development and relief work across yeah. the world cool so what happened then after this or like during this experience what sort of changed for you 
I think it was kind of slow at first. Like I got back and I, it didn't seem as big of a deal to not be studying like 24 seven or working. And, you know, like somebody would tell me something, for example, and I would want to like stop and listen and value what they were saying more because people started just seeming more valuable and more important in my life than the things that I had originally been valuing. That's amazing. Mm. That's such a cool change. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was a slow change and it took time. I, I actually finished my degree and finished um, <clears throat> and actually started on my master's before I decided to take a break from that and become a full-time volunteer. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, one thing I really love about your story, Rihanna, is that you went on a service trip, a place where you were doing something that was for the purpose of spreading the gospel with, to, the, to the world, right? And as you served others, even in the midst of all of that busyness, it's had such a great impact on your life that you have decided to put everything else aside to actually continue yeah. to serve Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Isn't it amazing? Like, how does that feel in your mind to have gone from a position where busyness was 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 a bad thing but now busyness for Jesus is like the goal. <laughs> um I think it's it's a really cool feeling. I think that sometimes I didn't I I think I didn't realize how much trying to work for or with other people how much it does for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, for a long time I I didn't get it and now it's like it's the most amazing thing. That's awesome. And is there anything that you'd like to tell our audience those who are listening right now? Is there anything that you'd like to say to encourage them? Um, if they've ever thought about doing service or not? Um, I, I think the big thing for me is if you feel like there's, there's one aspect of your life where you can hear God speaking, just go for it and, and see what it's like. It's, if there's one decision where you're like, oh, I don't know, and you've prayed about it and you feel like God is, is maybe leaning towards one way, it's hard, I think, in the beginning to, to put your trust in something that's not in yourself, not in the things that you're used to. For me, it was like school and my job and things like that. But it's it's amazing. That's awesome. I love that. So you have it straight from uh, straight from the studio. Step out when you hear God calling you, and you've prayed, and you hear him, His voice leading you in a direction. Be bold, be courageous, walk out in faith, and find the blessings that are coming. Thank you so much, Rihanna, for coming in. May God bless you and continue to lead you in your work. This is Caleb and Kelsey, 10,000 Reasons.
And I never thought I'd feel this way But as far as I'm concerned I'm glad I got the chance to say That I do believe I love you And if I should ever go away Well, just close your eyes and try to feel the way we do today And then, if you can remember Keep smiling, keep shining Knowing you can always count on me For sure That's what friends are for In good times and bad times I'll be on your side forevermore That's what friends are for Well, you came and opened me And now there's so much more I see And so, by the way, I thank you And then, for those times when we're apart Well, just close your eyes and know These words are coming from my heart And then, if you can remember Keep smiling, keep shining can always count on me for sure That's what friends are for In good times and bad times I'll be on your side forevermore That's what friends are for Keep smiling, keep shining Count on me for sure. That's what friends are for in good times and bad times. I'll be on your side forevermore. That's what friends are for. Keep smiling, keep shining. Knowing you can always count on me for sure That's what friends are for In good times and bad times I'll be on your side forevermore That's what friends are for Keep 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM Radio, and we have just come to the first session of our Bible study portion. So we're super excited to do that. But before we get into that, I just wanted to let you know that for our first caller in for Question of the Week this week, we happen to have a prize available. A prize, Robbie? What is the prize? A prize. The prize is a little book called After God's Heart. And those of you who know that we've been studying David would know that this sounds a lot like how David is described by God, so cool. a man after God's own heart. And yeah. so this is a little book that goes through a study in brokenness through the life of David. And so David had some some issues that we're going to look at coming up in subsequent weeks. But um, there's a little book that you could study through this on your own. And the life of David is so inspiring, and it's so it's got so many challenges as well. And I think the re- one of the reasons it's so inspiring is because it's so relatable. Absolutely. And that was the God exact word in. I was thinking. I was like, man, David is so relatable. And I think that's why we love him because, you know, he, he relates to the guys who are like victorious. They want to go out to battle, very manly kind of things. Then he's very musical, which I love. And so I, I relate to that. Um, and then he has general struggles and, and things with parents and children. And it's just, he's relatable to so many people in different spheres of life. It's that's awesome. it. And so if you'd like to get your hands on a copy of this book, after God's heart, you can do so by calling in with your questions at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM, or you can text in at 0491-064-669. 0491-064-669. I forgot the last three digits there for a moment. I thought I better look and make sure I've got that right, or that'll text it the wrong one. So we'd love to hear from you. Any yes. questions that you've got about the Bible or spirituality, God, etc. We'd love to hear from you. So we're going to get into our Bible study now. And before we do, I'm just going to invite Beck to pray for us. Father God, we just come to you um, on this Thursday afternoon. And I just ask that you be with us now as we open your word. Um, that you guide us with your Holy Spirit. You said as we open your word that your spirit is the one that teaches us. And we just ask that you'll teach us right now. Be with us wherever we are, wherever people are uh, driving or sitting. And we just ask that you come into their hearts and minds and that you speak through us and come into our hearts as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week we looked at the story of Pop Quiz. What did we look at last week, Beck? David. And? Jonathan. Jonathan, good. So last week, <laughs> I asked you that because I'd forgotten. I had a moment of, of mental lack of clarity. David and Jonathan. Um, so David and Jonathan. So we looked at that last week, and, and where we finished the story was essentially that Jonathan was faithful to David. They'd made a covenant together to look after each other and protect each other's families. And at the end, it says that Jonathan and David made a covenant. He said that- What's a covenant? And a covenant is an agreement between two parties on pain of death, okay. so to speak. Yeah. So they were swearing their lives to protect each other and their families. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of that, Jonathan said, look, I know you're going to be king. God has ordained you for this. And so when your time has come to be king, be kind to my family. Don't do what all the other kings do in other cultures where they they weed out the previous king's family and they get rid of them all for fear of losing power. He says, don't don't do that. Protect my family. And so David enters into that agreement with him. And then they say farewell, and that leads on to Jonathan going back to the palace, essentially. uh, That might not exactly be the right word. There wasn't a palace per se just yet, not until David's kingship. But anyway, he goes back to the, the king and his court, right? yeah. and um, after that, David runs off 
to protect himself by fleeing to the wilderness. And so I just want to give a little bit of context. We're going to skip to chapter 24 of the first Samuel. So first Samuel chapter 24 was where we'll start our reading today. But before we get into that, I just want to give a little bit of context of what happens between those two events, where we're starting today and what happened last week. So David flees. And after David flees, the first place that he ends up going to is a place where there is a priest. And the priest is doing the ministry that he's supposed to be doing. And he is asked by David for some bread and some supplies. Anyway, he ends up giving him some things. He gives him Goliath's sword that had been kept there because he didn't have a sword with him because he had to flee for his life. And so he's given some resources and some food and he leaves. And one thing that happens is that, well, well, David didn't give him an exactly honest answer of why he was there trying to protect himself. Um, but what happens is Saul finds out and basically has all of these people killed. Yeah, all of the priests and the priest family, which is such a hectic story um, to hear about because they were just doing God's will and trying to do the right thing. Um, and they didn't even know yeah. that, that he was fleeing from the king. And so Saul is responsible for the death of all of these priests and the women and the children in this place. Horrific, right? Like he, he sanctioned it, so to speak. And so David flees. And David then amasses a group of people, these down and outs, these people who owe debts to people, they're, they're outcasts from society. They come and they gather around David and he has basically a little army that is forming around him. It reminds me a little bit, and maybe this is why I love his story so much, of Robin Hood. And so he, like, he's like <laughs> trying to do the, the right thing without the thieving, right? And so there's a whole, yeah, like you say, a little army of people who are outcast and not included and they come to him. They actually, they're sort of driven to him. They, they find that David is someone that they're like, oh, he will give us solidarity against the king and will look after us. And so he's fleed for his life. He's got a little army that's supporting him. And one thing that he does is he finds out, because David was a warrior, he was a leader of armies for Israel, he finds that there are some places that are being victimized by the Philistine armies, a neighboring country. And so he goes to a place called Keilah, and he goes there and protects the city and defends them. And when Saul finds out that David and his men are there, he comes for the purpose of seeking David's life again. Yeah. <laughs> and so David flees with his army and they flee into a wilderness. And in chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, they flee to the wilderness of Ziph. And it says this in 1 Samuel 23, verse 14. It says, David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. And so he brings his armies into the wilderness of Ziph and he's hunting for David, trying to kill him still. And so we see this, poor David. Yeah. David has been doing nothing but the, well, maybe not nothing but the right thing. He lies to the priests. Um, but he has been doing the right thing so, before he's Saul. He's been faithful. He's God. been loyal. He's, yeah. been, he's not taken advantage of his opportunities to fight against Saul. He's been honoring Saul, Saul's anointing from God. And Saul is just so power hungry that he keeps trying to take David's life. And that brings us to our Bible study today. So we are in 1 Samuel chapter 24, starting from verse 1. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. 
Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master. The Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servant with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. All right, so let's pause there. I I was giggling in the corner of the studio just as I was reading this, and it may not have come across in translation. I knew exactly why Robbie was giggling, (laughs) and as I read this story in preparation for today, I was like, Robbie's going to (laughs) laugh. Definitely. So... So David is is he's in the wilderness. Saul has been fleeing or has been pursuing him. He's trying to find him. And David is encamped inside a cave. And now it says that Saul came to attend to his needs. And what this basically means is he went to in, into this cave to go to the bathroom. Yeah. He was going there for toileting purposes. And so while Saul is in this cave trying to go to the toilet, it's pointed out to David, here is Saul. Yeah. Here's the one who's been pursuing my life. And he's in a very, um, a place where he's not able to defend himself. There are, his men are outside. That's right. You know, he's, he's totally in defenseless. a precarious situation for Saul right here. Totally. And David is in a position where he could, he could just protect himself. And David's men gather around and they're like, hey, look, God has delivered into your hands today your enemy. Like, think about this. You're hiding in the wilderness, and here comes your enemy, and he just sits down like unarmed inside this cave. It just seems like victory has been handed to you on a plate. But notice what David does. It says David goes, and he cuts off the corner of his, his clothing. And it sounds almost like he was tempted to get revenge. But it says that he doesn't. He takes off the corner of his clothing. He cuts off this little piece, and it says... We're not gonna. We're not gonna do this. We're not going to do this to Saul because God chose him to be king. Mm-hmm. And even though he has he has been doing harm and he has not been faithful to God's call, he says, "I will not be the one responsible for taking the life of God's anointed." Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah, and it's amazing what he says um, about God later. So as we read on, we're gonna see what what David then says about the Lord and His hand in this. Yeah. It's going to be good. So let's keep reading with verse 8. David also arose and went out of the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks you harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you. But my eye spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of the robe in your hand, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me. And let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge, and judge between you and me, 
and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. There's so much cool stuff going on in this story. Yeah. So David, well, well, first of all, Saul walks back out unharmed, totally unaware that his life has been in, in, in a very precarious position. Yeah. He just comes out and goes back towards what he was doing. And at this point, David comes out of the cave and he calls out to him. And what does he call him? He calls him father. Isn't that interesting? A sign of respect. David in all of this is still showing respect to this person who is not really worthy of any respect by his behavior, is he? Yeah, absolutely. He's acting more like a relentless madman than um, a That's king of Israel. That's a great way to explain it. Yeah, a relentless madman. I think you're exactly right. He sought David every day. Yeah. Every day there was peace. He was seeking to kill David. So he comes out and he says, dude, look. And we're going to put this into Robbie speak. He says, dude, look. Look what's in my hand. God brought you into this cave today. He laid you before me, and I could have taken your life. In fact, my soldiers even wanted me to. And think about this from the perspective of the soldiers. If you're serving a leader who is taking care of you and protecting you, and he's a good man, he's a godly man, and there's someone trying to hurt your leader, and you, like, think about this in terms of, of war, because these are soldiers, are you going to want to take out the person who's the enemy of your leader? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And also, also something is that they were also running from him then, right? They were part of his group. So not only David was running, but these men who were with him, their lives were in peril. And they're like, we can wipe out this man right now. We can stop this today. And what's amazing to me is that David has so much respect in the eyes of these, his subjects, you might call them, his group, his soldiers, that they didn't step in and take Saul out because David said no. Isn't that an important thing for us to note that when we are in positions of leadership and we are respected, our word and our influence has a huge impact on those who respect us. David had that respect and he did not use it or abuse it to his own advantage. Yeah. He stood for what was right. He had integrity and he represented God very well in this instance. Yeah, such a good leader in this position. So powerful. Yeah, and the men, they would have had that as well as an example for their children and their families. And they could have done gone one way, but they... David chose to go the other and it's just an amazing experience of grace and, and mercy that he showed this man who didn't deserve it and actually harks back to how Jesus shows us grace and mercy when we don't deserve it as well. I love that. And I love what else he says. As he goes on, he's basically saying, look, I, I could have been the judge and I could have taken your life. Yeah. I could have pronounced sentence on you with my sword essentially. But he says, I did nothing. I have no committed no rebellion, I've done no evil, and yet you pursue me. Yet you pursue me to take my life. You hunt me. He says, let the Lord judge between you and me. Yeah, and this is going to come up later in this um, in the Bible study today. We're going to be talking about something a little bit later. And looking at what God says and what the Lord says is also going to come back. So tune in for that. This is Eric and Monique, Temporary.
songs that don't matter No eternal effect And why don't I reach out to people in need Stop living this life Like it's all about me Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM Radio. And we just want to do another shameless plug for our Question of the Week segment. We'd love to hear from you with your questions about God, the Bible, practical Christianity, whatever it is that you are you know, wanting to know. It could be about this story. It could be about something totally unrelated. We'd love to hear from you. No question is too big or too small to be able to be thrown at us. Whether or not we have all the answers is a totally different question. Yeah, that's actually true. But um, <laughs> God is good and he will, he will help us. So throw your questions at us. We'd love to hear from you. And if you are the first caller in, you will get a free copy of, what was it called? A... It's about the heart. After God's Heart. That's what yes. it was called. Sorry. And it's a Bible study series or a Bible, little Bible study guide on David's life and coming to God through brokenness. So if you'd like to do that, you can do so by... Calling us on 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or texting us on 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Or you can hit us up on Facebook, Faith FM Australia. Awesome. So we're going to go back into 1 Samuel chapter 24 and continuing the story in verse 16. Oh, actually, I want to comment on it. Never mind. <laughs> I want to comment a little bit more before we read. So, so I love this. David says to Saul, 
let the Lord judge between you and me. It's so important he says it twice. This is something that we will note in scripture, if you haven't noticed this already, repetition highlights importance. Yeah. It wants, the, the scripture writer is wanting us to take note of what he's saying here. He's saying, let the Lord be the one who's going to bring judgment. I don't need to execute judgment on my own behalf because if I leave it long enough, guess who's going to come through for me? Yeah, the Lord. God will. Absolutely. And I love that. There's another verse in the Bible which says that the Lord is the one who is the one who brings revenge, basically. It says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so we don't have to seek our own vengeance. It's it's God who will do that for us. And I love that because what you know, sometimes we see these these ideas presented where if I get revenge for myself, it's gonna be good. But often when people go to get revenge for themselves, what they do is they they commit more sin and then they they bring difficulty into their own life from trying to get revenge and it doesn't actually bring them any peace or any solace but it actually brings them more harm now this doesn't mean that we can never stand up against injustice yeah by no just, means it doesn't mean that there isn't any penalties there's definitely penalties for things Certainly. i think it's a definitely a different circumstance but he's saying here i'm not going to murder you even though you're trying to murder me mm-hmm. and i love that because it just presents this beautiful picture of trust in god where I'm going to stand up and do the right thing, even though it might not look to everyone else like it's going to turn out for my favor. He says, I'm going to trust in God to be the judge. And notice that he cries out to God. He pleads with God. Let God plead my case. Yeah. Right? It's so good. So beautiful. All right. Now let's keep reading and let's see. Well, what's Saul's response to all of this? So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Will he let him get away? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now, there's a couple of really interesting things to note out of this. And before they all escape my mind, I, w- I want to hold this here. I, I want to make this one point before I forget it, because I've only just noticed it now. Notice, does David go back with Saul to Saul's home this no, time? No. Now, David had gone back to Saul's home many, many, many times before. And there were previous times where in his home, Saul had tried to take his life. He fleed. Then he came back. Saul tried to take his life. He fled. And then he came back. Saul tried to take his life. He fled, and then he came back. And I want to highlight this to you, for you out there. There are times when people commit sin against us, and we forgive them, but we don't enter back into the, 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 the place where they have power over us. Yeah, that's Notice, such an important point. Right? So, for example, if you take this to a very you know hurt, hurtful subject, if someone is abusing you, You can forgive them and not place yourself in a position where they are still in power over you. Notice David gave him opportunity to repent, 
right? He came back into his house many times before, but there came a point where he realized going back there is not my is not for my good. And it's I don't have to go back there to forgive you and to move forward. Absolutely. And I love that. And he still allowed that time for Saul. Like you said, he allowed him to have that repentance and he still brought it up. Uh, but then he made the decision based on the wisdom that he had. What is the best decision for him at this time? Isn't that powerful? And so I just want to encourage, so encourage you out there. Don't think, that, don't think that you cannot forgive someone if you can't stay, in a, stay with them safely in a position like that, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So if, there, if you have an enemy, you can forgive the enemy and not continue to always place yourself under their authority. And also I think that's important to remember. Yeah, and, and learning, talking about forgiveness as well. Um, just because you've forgiven someone, it doesn't mean you have to enter into the same kind of relationship that you had before. And so forgiving someone doesn't mean the same relationship. It can just mean letting go um, and, and not holding a grudge against that person for some wrong that they've done. But then you don't have to be in the same position and in the same relationship with them. And I think that that's really important as well. Mm. Trust is not always earned back as easily as it is broken. Yeah. In fact, it never is. <laughs> And that's what we see in this story. But notice, what else can we notice about Saul's response? Does Saul seem to repent? Absolutely. Saul seems to be uh, very repentful here. And I, I, in fact, actually believe he was and, and did believe that. And this is where I, I actually think Saul struggled with some mental illness problems as well. And looking at it here, he does seem to really repent and be sorry for it. Um, but then we see in, in further chapters what continues. Um, and we'll see that maybe it's not as lasting as, as we would hope. Mm. True repentance is going to result in change. And I think that's an important thing to, to recognize. All right, so that's that. Now, I think Beck has something that she'd like to share with us, and I'm really excited about this. So did you know that many of the Psalms that are written in the Bible are written by David? Yeah. Many of them, of over 70 from memory, and I think it might, I think it's around 70, actually. Um, one of, well, a few of those he actually wrote while he was being pursued by Saul. Yeah. And so, Beck, what do you have for us? Yeah, absolutely. Something I just wanted to dive into in a few minutes here is looking at anger and dealing with anger and, and the problem of anger. So Ephesians 4.26 says to be angry and do not sin. So we can be angry and there can be a righteous anger. So there's there's opportunities and times that we see in the Bible and Jesus gets angry at injustice, particularly injustice there is a really big one of God, the Father, and Jesus throughout Scripture of being angry. But there is a kind of anger which is sinning. But we all have anger. We have problems. There are things that people do to us. There's forgiveness that needs to happen. But I know that anger is a real problem that people struggle with. And this is something that I learned um, when I did a Bible course. And somebody came and shared with us, his name is James Rafferty, and um, shared with us how to deal with anger and how we can see that through the Psalms. And it's such a really cool thought I just wanted to share with people today. Because if we don't deal with anger responsibly, we will deal with it irresponsibly. That's a powerful point. And so people can lead into problems with what we were talking about before, um, abuse or drinking or dealing with your anger in an irresponsible way and causing yourself harm as well as other people. So how do we deal with anger? Um, and there's five steps on how to deal with anger, which is seen through the Psalms, which is so cool. So step one is to ask God for help. Step two, explain the situation to him. Step three, let God have your anger. Step four, praise God. And step five, 
allow him to work or, or wait for a surprise. And I just wanted to go through this with you. There's a lot of Psalms that this works in, but I'm just going through a seven verse Psalm just to give you a, uh, an opportunity to see it. So we're going to turn to Psalm 54. And so this is actually um, of a time when David writes and Saul is chasing him and pursuing him. And the Ziphites come and they say, actually, David is hiding with us. And Saul writes, um, David writes this Psalm about his anger and, and dealing with it. So verse one, he says, save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. So here we see that David is asking God for help. Step one in, in dealing with anger is to ask God for help. Step two, verses three to five, is explain the situation. So it says, for strangers have risen up against me and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. So he explains the situation. God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. And something that we see there is that um, David is struggling with anger and, and with problems and these people following him. And he doesn't know what to do with it. So he brings it to God. He asks God for help. And then he's demonstrating it um, to God. He's, he's letting God have opportunity to work in that space. So then he explains the situation and afterwards he, uh, he lets God work. So then we move on to looking at verse four and five. God is my helper. The Lord is those who uphold my life. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil and cut them off in your truth. So he gives it to God. He lets God take his anger. He says, God is my helper and he will repay my enemies, which is just what we saw David doing with Saul. He said, let God judge between you and me. So he gives his anger to God and he lets him deal with it. And then step four is to praise. Verse six and seven, he says, I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble and my eye has seen his desire upon my enemies. So there's just some simple steps of dealing with anger, which I think is so useful because we all have problems. And so someone drives across in front of you in a car, right? And you get angry. You're starting to get road rage. So you ask God for help. You say, Lord, I'm getting angry right now. You explain to him, man, this man just drove in front of me. I'm feeling super mad about it. And then you say, Lord, please take my anger. I let you deal with it. Uh, deal with the situation and deal with the anger. And then you praise him and you say, Lord, thank you for working in my life. And you give it over to him. And this might be something that you have to do in steps over a few days as well um, as you deal with different things. But I think it's a really, really useful tool. And we can see it in Psalm 54, Psalm 56, Psalm 64, Psalm 71. And a lot of these are about Saul pursuing David and the anger that he must have felt towards them as well. And think about that, like, Here's David, of all the things that you would be doing when your life is being pursued and you're sitting here with a, a small army in the wilderness, he's writing these songs, he's writing these prayers, mm. and they're here recorded for our benefit. Yeah. Isn't that powerful? Absolutely. That, that the Holy Spirit worked in his life and they're recorded here for us so that they can help us to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life to overcome similar challenges. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that, Beck. All right, we're going to jump into... Well, back into First Samuel, and I want to just read one thing before we move on, and that's First uh, Samuel chapter twenty-five and verse one, which says, "Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran." Now, I, th I just want to highlight this because 
Samuel had not gone to see David, or sorry, to see Saul. Excuse me. Samuel had not gone to see Saul after uh, his delivering. Last sin. That's yeah. right. After delivering his this the message to him that he would no longer be king, that God had uh, had chosen someone else to take his place. And at this point, I can imagine that Saul is probably losing all sense of accountability. Who else is there to keep Saul in check, right? Samuel's the prophet of God. He's the one who's delivering the messages from God to the people. He's the one who God used to select the king in the first place. He was the leader, and he was old, and now there's nobody. His sons were not respected um, in their leadership position. They didn't follow through with the same level of faithfulness and integrity. And so now... There's not a lot going on here in terms of safekeeping for David. He's like, I don't trust Saul to, to keep his word, is what I'm thinking he's thinking. And now Samuel's gone. This could really go south quickly. And so, so David continues to go into another wilderness, and we hear another story of what he does there, and it's interesting to read. But we're going to jump over to another story in 1 Samuel chapter 26, where Saul seems to be back at his old game. So let's start by reading the first couple of verses there before we go to our break. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakalah, opposite Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalah, which is opposite Jeshimon, by the road, but David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Dave, that Saul came up after him into the wilderness. All right, so this is the wilderness story that we've just read about in the Psalms, and when we come back, we'll get into that story. This is for king and country. Oh God, forgive us. We're praying the prayer with no reply. Words float off into the night. Couldn't cut our time with the sharpest knife Oh, oh, God forgive us Silence isn't comfortable We'll drive through peace and instant hope Our shallow faith that has left us broke Oh, oh, God Help us with our unbelief Oh, oh, God, forgive us Young and old, black and white Rich and poor, there's no divide You're the mighty, you're the powerless Singing, oh, oh, God, forgive us Free. Oh, 
God forgive us. Oh, oh God forgive us. A slave to our uncertainty, help us with our unbelief. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM Radio. And uh, just before we get into our Bible studies, our last plug that we can fit in before question of the week. So we would love to hear from you guys with your questions. And if you would like to send in a question, you're, if you're the first caller, you will, uh, you will receive a free Bible study guide called After God's Heart, following some studies through the life of David. So you'll be able to learn a lot more about David because we're only scratching the surface on what the Bible says about David. Um, and if you would like to do that, you can do so by calling 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Texting us on 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Or you can go to our Facebook page, Faith FM Australia. Awesome. So just before we left the break, we found that the actual psalm that we had just studied through is the story that we're about to read through. Yeah. And so David has fled again into the wilderness of Ziph, and the people of the area have gone to Saul and said, hey, we know where David is, essentially. Come to this area, and we'll try and help you find him. And so that's where we're up to. Verse 4. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped all around him. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zeruah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. Awesome. So basically what's going on here? Basically, Saul is pursuing David again um, after he had said that he wouldn't and he's pursuing him. Some people have actually betrayed uh, David, which is really sad. He was looking after them and they mm. they went and they told um, Saul where he is. They were trying to get on his good side or escape taxes or something. I don't know. But they basically um, gave David's whereabouts to Saul. Then Saul comes and camps and he's sleeping and David comes up to the camp and he finds Saul and all his men around him sleeping. I love this. We're going to we're going to skip around a little bit for sake of time. But what happens is he takes down Ahimelech, yeah? One of his well Ahimelech the Hittite um, and he takes him down. What? Oh, did I get the wrong name? He, then I David think- answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, Da-da. Who will go down with me? And Abishai goes down. Sorry, wrong name. Oh, no, that's okay. Anyway. I think men took him down like he killed him. And I was like, no, 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 that's not what I said. <laughs> anyway, he takes this man down. It, it would have taken less time if I just read it instead of getting confused. <laughs> no worries. I, I got confused. Anyway, he, he goes down with the guy and the guy says to him, hey, look, he's sleeping there. There's his spear and there's his jug of water next to him. Let me get the spear and I'll pin him to the ground and he'll never get up again. And at this point, David, who could have easily said yes, in verse 9, says to Abishai the following words. Do you want to read that for us, Beck? Yeah. Verse 9. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. 
So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head, and they got away, and no man saw or knew it awoke, or awoke, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. So they stayed asleep. He has this conversation. He says, no, 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 don't kill them. But what I want you to do is I want you to go get the spear and the jug of water for me and bring them back. Yeah. And so he goes and does that. And then let's keep reading to see what happens next. Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off, a great distance being between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you? Calling out to the king. So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord the king. This thing that you have done is not good, and as the Lord lives, you deserve to die, because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. I love this. Like The, the conversation is so interesting. Abner's working for Saul. He's like his chief in command kind of thing, or the, the head of his army, basically. And his job is to protect the king. And what David does here is very interesting, because he says, hey, hey, he doesn't address Saul this time. He addresses his protector. And he says, are you not a man? Are you, are, is there anyone stronger than you in Israel? In other words, you're, you're a, pos- a person who's in position and power who protects the king. And he says, you failed to protect the king. And look what he does. He puts himself in the position of, I could have killed him, but I didn't. Yeah. And here you are. You're supposed to protect him and you're not protecting him. I'm the one he considers his enemy and I'm the one protecting him. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think it's funny because also it's a retaliation because Abner says first, who are you calling out to the king? And then David sort of is like, well, who are you? You're not doing your job, buddy. (laughs) I love it. There's a bit of humor in there. But think about that. It's so powerful that David is putting himself in a position. By saying this, he's explaining the irony that you're chasing the man who's actually the one who's responsible for saving your life from my own soldiers. Mm -hmm. And he's showing and demonstrating his faithfulness in spite of the circumstances. And so then in verse 17, it continues. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go, serve other gods. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Isn't that interesting? And so he goes through basically the same conversation he just had last time when he could have taken Saul's life and didn't. Yeah. And he demonstrates his faithfulness to God and to God's call. And Saul's error, Saul's unfaithfulness is even more distinct. Now just imagine what these interactions would do, the impact that this would have on all of Saul's people, right? These things were not going to remain silent and not get anywhere. And what David is doing, now think about this, in David's faithfulness to God and not taking vengeance upon himself, he is representing what kind of government he might run when God does indeed fulfill his promise and put him in the position of king. Yeah, absolutely. By him demonstrating integrity and faithfulness and a lack of vengeance seeking, 
he's demonstrating to the people, I will be a better and more godly leader than Saul ever was. And at this point, he's really representing God. Isn't and that in true? In terms of how God is and God is mercy and God is uh, giving us opportunities again and again. And it just really, really sort of rebukes me and says, man, how many times does God do this to me? And then I'm like Saul and I repent. And then a little bit later, I turn back again and then mm-hmm. commit the same sin. And then God gives me opportunity again and again. And just praise him. There's this Bible verse that says that God's mercy is new every morning. Um, and he has mercy on us in the way that David is having mercy on Saul in this story. And, you know, one of the other things that sticks out to me about what you're sharing is is that there is a time, the Bible says, where the wicked will be destroyed, right? Those who choose not to repent will be destroyed. And that's a difficult thing to read about. It's a difficult thing to think about. But notice that the flip side of this is that God takes no pleasure in that. God's desire is not that anyone be destroyed. God's desire, according to 2 Peter 3, verse 9, is that everyone should come to repentance. This is why he has not come back yet. He is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Yeah, absolutely. So he's giving every opportunity to every person, turn back, walk away from those ways, come to me, I will forgive all of your sins, I will cover up all of your rebellions, I will treat you as a son, as a daughter, even though you have chosen to walk away from that position yourself. You have hated me, but I have not hated you. And this is an example, unfortunately, as we read through this, of the reality that not everyone will accept that mercy. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the biggest things here is that you, you said cho- you've chosen to walk away. Boom. And all of these times it's your choice, like your choice. You can choose today. And so, yeah, I just really feel um, I want to make a, an appeal for people who are listening that if they – if they are feeling God calling them, if they want to repent, if there's something they need to to bring to God, um, that they make that choice, that they turn to God and that they give it to Him. Uh, maybe they're struggling with anger. Maybe you're struggling with something else. And God wants to take that from you, but it's your choice. So my question to you is today, are you going to choose God? Are you going to choose to have Him in your heart? And if you do that, then would you just pray right now? This is Gaither Vocal Band. I'm going to sing. As long as it takes for a song to make sad, heavy spirits free I'm gonna keep making music that carries the secret that Jesus is liberty I'm gonna turn off the sound that would drag people down to the pit of despondency With a sweet happy tune, He is coming soon for His children like you and me It's a song that'll carry a message along through the dentist of foggy nights And a tune is the rope that can throw a man hope when he's going down for the third time It's a sweet melody that can cut your heart free from the chains of a past defeat You can suddenly see through the sweet harmony a path for your wandering feet Just as long as it takes for a song to make sad, heavy spirits free I'm gonna keep making music that carries the secret that Jesus is liberty I'm gonna turn off the sounds that would drag people down to the pit of despondency With a sweet happy tune, He is coming soon for His children like you and me Don't tell me the world is a hopeless old place and I might as well just give in the doom and gloom, life's a waiting room for the blow that'll do us all in. I can't 
realize when before my eyes there's a hope shining bright as day. I gotta follow the song that keeps drawing me on with my feet dancing all the way. I'm gonna sing just as long as it takes for a song to make sad, heavy spirits free. I'm gonna keep making music that carries the secret that Jesus is liberty. I'm gonna turn off the sounds that would drag people down to the pit of despondency. With a sweet, happy tune, he is coming soon for his children like you and me. I'm gonna sing just as long as it takes for a song to make sad, heavy spirits free. I'm gonna keep making music that carries the secret that Jesus is liberty. I'm gonna turn off the sounds that would drag people down to the pit of despondency. With a sweet, happy tune, he is coming soon for his children like you and me. Yeah, with a sweet, happy tune, he is coming soon for his children like you and me. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck, and I am curious what time it is, Liam. Question of the week. Okie dokie. Our question for this week comes in from Darren. Thank you very much for this, Darren. One of our regular uh, calls in. And his question this week is, why is it that the overwhelming majority of Christian churches worship on and truly believe that the Sabbath day is Sunday? Is this the Roman Catholic Church and the papal system solely responsible, or is it other factors in play which has led to this? Awesome. What a great question. Thanks for calling in, Darren. Super excited to have this question. Um, so there's so many things that we could do to answer this question, and we've only got a limited amount of time. Um, so, yeah, Lord, give us wisdom to answer the question mm. as, as efficiently as we can. Mm. I guess the, the first thing to do is just to clarify for those that, that may not be aware is the biblical Sabbath starts on sun, from, from about sundown, not about, from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday. So the biblical Sabbath starting in Genesis is, is uh, explained by God to take place from the evening of the sixth day to the evening of the seventh day. Yeah, and right? what what is Sabbath? Sabbath is a day of rest that God set aside as a special day for our worshiping community with each other and with Him. Um, it's a special day to remember God and what He's done in our life. Totally. And so the biblical Sabbath is still kept by the Jews, and there are some denominations of Christians who still observe the biblical Sabbath. But for the the, the last, you know, 1,500, more, more than 1,500 years, majority of Christians have um, continue or sorry have have observed the first day of the week Sunday as a rest day instead so great question um, the history of this is a little lengthy if you want to go into a lot of detail but the short version goes like this the first set, uh, Sunday law well there was a law that came into establishment that said well we're, we're not going to observe the biblical Sabbath we're now going to legalize and legislate that the first day of the week be observed 
was by Emperor Constantine. So he was a Roman emperor. It's purported that he had a conversion to Christianity because Christianity had grown in the Roman Empire to at this point to be a large group. Um, many scholars suggest that they think this was just a political move, maybe not a real conversion, but we don't really know. But basically, he says in this law in 321 AD, and I'll read it for you, this is the first law that they said to legislate the first day of the week, Sunday, as a rest day in the Roman Empire. And it says, on the venerable day of the sun, aka Sunday, let the magistrates and people residing in cities rest. Let all workshops be closed. In the country, however, persons engaged in agriculture may freely and lawfully continue their pursuits because it often happens that another day is not suitable for grain sowing, etc., etc., etc. So he basically says, look, if you live in the cities, you are not allowed to work on Sunday. And this was the, the, the first step towards this. Now, this was not... This was a political thing, not necessarily just a religious thing. Yeah, and something I was just going to note, it wasn't the only thing. There were th- there were movements that were happening around that before. There were groups of, of Christians who were starting to observe different days. Um, there was paganism that was sort of starting to creep in, and, and the pagans were um, keeping Sunday as, like, as a holy day, but not in a Christian way. And there were different like areas. It wasn't just Constantine, but you're right, he was very... Um, uh, instrumental basically in the whole group of people turning towards it in a very short time the empire went from being non-christian and persecuting christians to then accepting christianity because of what constantine did yeah and so this made it much well it allowed for people to observe this day it was it was basically a a day to unify christians and non-christians and make it easier for them to all come together and so this was obviously about worshiping the sun which was the, the the chief one of the chief gods in Rome that they would worship but this actually worked its way into the church significantly in 364 AD the church council of Laodicea they actually then made it not just illegal to work on Sunday but they made it illegal to not work on Saturday on the biblical sabbath so check this out this is what the council of Laodicea which was a council of popes and bishops of the Roman Catholic Empire at the time of the Roman Catholic Church, which was the church of the Roman Empire. Um, And it says this, this was the law. It said, Christians shall not Judaize or be like Jews and be idle on Saturday or the biblical Sabbath, but shall work on that day. But the Lord's day, which they coined as the name for Sunday, they shall especially honor. And as being Christians shall, if possible, do no work on that day. If, however, they are found Judaizing, keeping Saturday as the Sabbath, they shall be shut out from Christ. Now, I want you to notice what that means. At this time period, the way that the, the universal church operated at that time, the, the established medieval church, right, they operated in such a way that said, if you were to not participate in the mass, then you did not have access to Christ and you would not be forgiven. Yeah, which is such a faulty uh, theology, basically, and it's it's mm. not based on the Bible really at all. And that was a, that's a really great problem. They were saying, we are the access to Christ and we yes. can separate you if you make a mistake. So instead of the Holy Spirit being our intercessor and Jesus being our intercessor, right, it was the priest and the bishop would become our intercessors and they were the ones who would give forgiveness. Now, how does this go on to now to, to kind of get that back into your, your question, Darren? And I think one of the biggest challenges is that from this time period forward and even before, the Bible was not in the hands of the lay person. 
so the Bible had been translated into Latin, and that was what was used by the, the greater church at the, t- the period of the Dark Ages, but not many people continued to speak Latin. Um, even during the height of the Roman Empire, Latin was not the chief language spoken by all the people. Greek was. And so people didn't have access to the scriptures. They only had access to what was taught to them from church officials. And so many people during this time started to not know what the Bible actually said. It was taken out of the hands of the people. And during the years of the Reformation, which took place from 1500 onwards, so mind you, this is over a thousand years after this, when people started coming back to Scripture and trying to get the Scriptures, the Bible, printed and written into the language of the people so they could read for themselves, many things had been forgotten and had been swept over by the tides of church traditions that were in opposition to what the Bible actually stated. And so for the short answer, I suppose, out of all of that is the primary reason that so many people keep Sunday and believe it's the Sabbath today is because of church tradition that had actually changed the observance of the biblical Sabbath to the first day of the week. You can read about this. um, If you go to the Vatican's website and read about what they call the third commandment, which is the the fourth commandment in Scripture, um, the Sabbath, you can actually see what, what it says there about how they how the church observes what they call the Lord's Day and their reasons behind it. But you will find no biblical basis for that change. And so I think the, the major thing to note here is that the, the primary reason that people observe Sunday rather than Saturday as the, as the biblical Sabbath is based on man's tradition. And it's important to note, I think, that tradition is a very difficult thing to break away from. And so the key here for all of us is to remember it's not man's traditions that should be the last Uh, the last word. It should be God's word that is the last word for our lives. So I hope that's helpful to you, Darren. May God bless you. And this is the Homeland Singers, Victory in Jesus.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. We just wanted to give another shout out. Thanks, Darren, for your question. And just encourage you guys, if you've got questions that you'd like to get in between now and the next show, you can still text those in anytime during the week. So if you have a Bible question, ever pop in. Remember, you can text it to us at 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. And um, we're going to get into our application. So what can we draw out of the... Like we've already done some application during the study, obviously, but what what are some some things that we can take into our real life? Yeah, out of what we have read about David's life today. Yeah, well, something I just wanted to reiterate are the steps for dealing with anger. Um, I think it's really it's really important and really helpful. And so, number one, ask God for help when you're angry. Ask God for help. Two, explain the situation. Often we go to friends, we go to colleagues, we we go to people and tell them how we feel, but it doesn't resolve anything, right? But when you go to God, you can explain the situation to somebody who understands. Number three, let God have your anger. Give it to him. Um, Give him the opportunity to take it and say, Lord, this is too much for me. I don't know what to do with it. Let God have your anger. And he can handle it. Um, Often there are times when we, we... don't want to express things truly because we think that it will be too much. Um, but God can handle your anger. And we see that as well in the story of Job in Job chapter nine. Uh, Job is angry over something. Um, and he's also angry over things that God, things that God is angry about. And so let God have your anger. And number four is give praise to God. Um, and in praising him, you're, you're relinquishing things to God and trusting him. And then, um, just Maybe you have to do that a few times, but these are some steps that you can have to deal with your anger, and I think they're really useful. Yeah, totally. Something I draw out of this story from Saul is that jealousy never reaches its capacity. It's never, jealousy is never quenched, right? If you think, oh man, I'm jealous, let me just get this thing, like Saul's jealous for power here, obviously, he's jealous of David, but he never can fill and satisfy that issue. And I think that's important for us to note. Jealousy always seeks for more. The way to deal with jealousy is not to indulge it, but to rebuke it. Yeah, to refute so it. Good. Um, to bring it to God, bring our jealousy to God, bring our dissatisfaction to Jesus, and ask Him to help us to deal with it. And also, yeah, definitely having having God, but having godly counsel. Because you see, when He gets godly counsel from David, when David rebukes him in a godly way, that stops him in his tracks, and he's like, oh. I've done the wrong thing. But often when we don't seek God and we don't seek that that counsel, it's in our own heads, things that happen. And so one way we can do that is spending time with God and his word. And often I find that that can be rebuking for me when I'm when I'm going through things or, um, yeah, feeling a certain way or someone says, oh, you, you should forgive them. And I'm like, oh, what? Like that's maybe not an experience that I wanted to have right then. Um, and so godly counsel is a really good thing to help us with issues that we're dealing with. Totally. Something else that I take out of this, and and this one might be a bit ouchy for some people who are about to hear it, I don't know. But when God reveals to you that it's time for you to prepare to leave a position of leadership or a position of power, that it's no longer your time to be in that position, it's a good idea to invest in the lives of other people who are going to take your place. Oftentimes we get hungry for power and the, the, the privileges that come with positions of leadership and we start to abuse those or we start to try and hold it to ourselves when we don't want to lose it because we start to see our identity and our purpose and our, our value in what we do and in, in our leadership. Yeah. But I think it's really important for us to remember if you're in a position of leadership, it's your responsibility to prepare those who are going to take the position after you. Um, yeah, you're, you're actually doing them and the people that you lead a disservice 
because nobody's going to be in a position of leadership for the rest of their life. Yeah. And so we need to be willing and humble enough to say, hey, God, show me how to invest in the people who are going to take my place and to not do so begrudgingly but to see the joy in transitioning out of those positions too. Yeah, and I would I would take that even a step further and say that some things that we're, what we should all do in positions that we're in is often we should be teaching people around us and, and showing them Christ and equipping them. And so it talks about in Scripture how that we are given gifts to equip the saints for the ministry of God. And I think we should do that in any way we can. If you're a teacher, if you're gifted in this area, for example, my friend Robbie here is a gifted teacher and people have different gifting and different abilities. And if they withhold them, they're actually um, not not even meaning to sometimes, but stopping things that they can do better and they can help people do better in their area of service, even if they're not leading a position. And I think that that's something we don't look at enough is if I'm here and I'm in this position, maybe I'm not in a position of leadership. Maybe I'm just in a, a daily position, but what can I do that can speak life into other people? What skills do I have? What things can I do? Can I pray with them? Can I be a blessing to them in some way? Fully. And one last thing that I want to just say to you guys is David was not a perfect person, and we can see that through the story, that he doesn't live it out perfectly either. But the thing that makes David so special, I believe, one of the things that makes David so special is that he actually is seeking for God throughout the journey of his life. And so I want to just challenge you, seek for God in your life every day. And as you're doing that, remember, real faith is is lived lived faith. faith.